And it's really hard when we've been told over and over again that there's only a particular way to be. But when I think about authenticity, it feels like exactly like you said, the closest I can be to honoring that which I was created to be. And it's really hard to find that out these days. It is our call. It is our mission, I think, to be respectful and honoring the creator as they created us to be. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast concerning things we never talk about on God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, alongside my remarkably witty co-host, sexologist, Reverend Alba Onofrio. Today on Lord Have Mercy, we will be answering an age-old question that always seems to pop up in our minds the moment we challenge traditional Christianity with our sexual identities. Our daily verse is 1 Corinthians 2, 9-13. God is revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except the Spirit of the man which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths by those who possess the Spirit. I was just about to ask you, what does that verse mean to you? Well, I originally had thought it was about revelation um, because I was thinking about the Bible and how sometimes it feels like, especially when we come out or when we have dissonance with what we've always been taught the Bible says, we often get to this place where it's like, can I believe the Bible? Do I have to like eject the entire Bible? Or is there a way for me to hold on to belief without every single word having to be true? It just gets messy. Um, And so I was thinking about this verse in relation to Revelation, because for me, it speaks to how spirit and what is inside of us and what we know to be true in our most genuine sense of what we know about our own bodies, our own spirits, our own life, um, to be a really important source of knowledge and revelation um, also. But now as I read it, I'm thinking a lot about authenticity and how that which is planted deep inside of us, that which is like woven in our mother's womb and built into our beings feels like this is a call to say that that trumps a lot of the other knowledge that we have that we've been given. And I think about things like gender identity or sexual orientation, where we're talking about, oh, you're supposed to be a boy or a girl, or you're supposed to like men if you're a woman or vice versa. And this to me says, screams, like, no, actually, the, that which is deep within us and is gifted freely by God is actually the thing that is the most important. I love that because it takes me to what I think about um, the argument when people say what is natural and unnatural, mm-hmm. because what is natural for you is not natural for me. And how dare I say that? Um, you should be attracted to men, right? How dare I say that you should be attracted to women when I have no idea what's going on in your heart of hearts. And I really enjoy that verse that says, above all else, protect the heart because it is the wellspring of life. And to me, it is that understanding that, that each of us has to dig down deep and figure out what our, what, what our heart is telling us and then live that to its fullest. Otherwise, not only are we lying to ourselves, but we're lying to the world. I think that that's exactly what 
those of us who talk about spiritual violence mean, right? It's like we're often given very prescribed ideas of who we are supposed to be in the world. And for some of us, we're taught that that comes directly from God, that there are these very rigid prescriptions of what we have to be in the world, and there isn't any space for creativity or or even authenticity. Um, And I love that idea of protecting the heart because it makes it really clear that actually we have a call to being in the world that isn't just limited to what we do with our professional life. It's a call into what our gender expression is. It's a call into who we love and how we move through the world. And that is super exciting to imagine every child coming out as like, how do we guide and hold a new human being who expresses all of the creativity of amazingly, wildly interesting, fabulous creator And how do we help those folks, little and big, along in that journey that says, like, actually, it's already in you what is true. And it is about that uncovering of truth and that development and discovery process, rather than about being good or bad if you fit into certain categories. That's an entirely different way of looking at it. That's so beautiful. Do you remember that um, one of the clobber texts um, that Paul writes about, um, and he gave them over to their desires, Romans one twenty seven, And I'm going to read it. And I'm wondering if you see some of the same threads that I do in this. And I'm hoping we can just talk about it. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than in the creator who is forever praised. Amen keeps going this is verse 26 because of this god gave them over to their shameful lusts even their women exchange unnatural sexual relations for unnatural ones their natural ones for unnatural ones in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another men committed shameful acts with what with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error it's heavy I think this has been the verse that has been hardest for me to talk to people about. And I feel maybe a pivotal one for most Christians because um, there isn't a story behind it that'll help just explain it away like Sodom and Gomorrah. But when I read this, I look at the words natural and unnatural in a very different way than fundamentalist Christians look at it. And I think that what we were just talking about is... um, what would be the most unnatural thing for me if I turned away from God and decided that I wasn't going to be who God created me to be? Um, If I did that, I would be a slave to um, heteronormativity. I would be a slave to societal norms and what they expect of um, a a black woman today. And I would um, try and be with a man, even though it didn't make me happy. But um, I would, I would do the damn thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and for me, I don't feel like I would be able to have the same relationship with God that I have now if I um, gave into what I feel to be unnatural desires. Yeah, this is a really hard text 
Um, and for me, it feels really important to look at who wrote the text. This is one of Paul's texts, like is Corinthians. Yeah, Paul's an asshole. I mean, but what is also true is that Paul has a deeply difficult time with understanding um, desire, the erotic sexual connection as a way to connect more fully with God through one's own body. Um, and so his spiritual practice is one that doesn't have any room for sexuality at all. In fact, he says over and over again that the best way to be would be not to have any sex at all. But if one must, then you have to get married just so you don't commit sin through lust. And I think that that's really important because that may very well have been Paul's call. And if that feels like what is true for him, it's a really different thing. Nowhere in here does Paul claimed that this is out of Jesus' mouth, right? And they weren't contemporaries in that way. They didn't sit down and have a conversation in which Jesus said to Paul, now I really need you to educate people about homosexuality because it's really a problem. Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. Um, and that feels really important because for me, he's talking about, he being Paul, is talking about a very particular way of engaging with people um, that for him seems entirely incoherent. And so I have no idea what was going on with these folks and what is natural and what is unnatural for those people. I would also argue that neither does Paul. What that verse feels important to me is the idea of worshiping created things versus the creator. And for me, that feels like one of the most important parts about like when we go external rather than internal to connect with God and creator and source, then it makes it so that we chase things like money and power and other people and so when I think of that unnatural and natural it feels less like sexual relations although I think many of us have had experiences where our the way that we were engaging in sexual relationships were less than ethical um, and less than honoring of the like deep divinity and connection to the divine that each of us are and how precious each of our bodies and spirits are um but it makes me think about what is shameful and what is unnatural feels like happens almost always when folks are not living into what is true. And it's really hard when we be, have been told over and over again that there's only a particular way to be. But when I think about authenticity, it feels like exactly like you said, the closest I can be to honoring that which I was created to be. And it's really hard to find that out these days. And it is our call. It is our mission, I think, to be respectful and honoring the creator as they created us to be. Church becoming accessible by an app on your phone is a radical idea, but it's already happening. Our Bible app is just that. It's a church outside of church, a network of universal community. And unlike those dogmatic Bible apps that are infused with political beliefs, our Bible app offers spiritually centered devotionals for the rest of us. From now until October 1st, the Kickstarter for our Bible app will be up and seeking backers. Consider joining the conversation. Check out our Bible app today. It's really cool that I get to talk to you about this because I know that you of all of the people that I know are very sexually liberated, or at least you have a very um, personally clear understanding of 
of sexuality, your sexuality and how it relates to the scriptures. And maybe it's not a completely defined idea, but it's still, I think, much more formed than uh, many of us have had the chance to, to create for ourselves. And so I really like that you were able to talk not about the story, but the context in which this was written, which is Paul's history, which is something that most people don't know, right? And I wouldn't know anything about Paul unless I went to theology, a theology school or a seminary. Um, And so I'm wondering if what you're saying is that in this instance, Paul is wrong, or is Paul wrong for our time today? Or how is this one of those situations that um, kind of answers the question that we we started with, you know, does the Bible still apply to us queer people? Um, how do we how do we follow the Bible if sometimes it does feel like maybe it's not in line with who we are? Yeah, it's super complicated. I am not a big fan of Paul. I think that there's a lot of stuff going on with Paul that doesn't get brought up, and it gets and I think that a lot of what um, Paul writes gets passed on as word of God without any kind of critical analysis and. Um, that's important because there are some ways in which Paul's humanity really helps us. I mean, Paul and another um, part of his writing is really struggling to decide whether or not he um, basically gives him a, himself over to the state, which means that he would be executed. Um, because he's saying, would it be better to go ahead and go home to Jesus now? Or should I stay here to be able to be a part of this group? And mental health is something that we don't talk a lot about related to the Bible, but it was absolutely something that Paul was struggling with. And I think that that's part of what we need to keep in mind is that there was a lot going on and there was a lot going on for Paul. And so I don't know what pieces of this text are Paul's lens or Paul's vision of what he was trying to communicate from God and what part of it was his own struggling with his own identity or his own sexuality or his own like disconnect from those pieces of his own life and his own body. So I think that it's, it's worth thinking about what is the lived experience and reality of people based on this verse. And that for me is like, does this thing bring life and life abundant and joy, or does it bring death and harm and violence? And so that's kind of the vision that I use or the lens that I try to look at the Bible along with a whole lot of research. Um, Because we do pick and choose. What is true is that we pick and choose. And I think the easiest texts are the ones where we talk about, where we read in the Bible about slavery and how God totally condones it and ordains it and allows it to be. And rape is something that is not questioned in lots of places and is totally questioned and named as wrong in other places. And so what does it mean that Almost all of us in this day and age would say like absolutely owning another human being's body um, and forcing yourself sexually on them and taking away their children and selling them um, as slaves is absolutely immoral and wrong. That is something that I don't debate even with the most conservative of Christians. And so if we can do that discernment, discernment of like, is this something that brings life or deals death? And do we believe in a God who is absolutely hell-bent on life continuing and being full and joyful and whole? Or do we believe in a God that really requires such stringent restrictions that people often sacrifice their own lives 
um, when they can't meet that, that feels like a decision that every person of faith has to make. And what you do with the Bible is greatly dependent on what you believe is your responsibility as a person of faith to discern. And I think that that's what I would love to see more of us doing is really digging deep and thinking about not just does it say that and let me check three or four translations, which is always a good idea because they can say all kinds of things. And there's commentary, really great commentary on every piece of the Bible. But there's another piece that's like when I read this and when I start propagating it out in the world, is it hurting people? Is it causing violence to be visited upon people? Or is it something that gives folks hope or life or lets them live more authentically into the wholeness of their being? Um, that for me is the ethics of what we do with the Bible. I really love that. I love the idea. Um, I love what you said. Does it deal life or does it deal death? And it takes me back to um, when I was a 2012 soul force equality writer i was writing around the country um, going to these conservative schools and um, confronting the administration about their policies that were um, anti-trans anti-gay anti-queer anti-lesbian um, and ultimately what it came down to was we would ask them does it cause harm you know who am I hurting by doing doing this thing that you've decided is is immoral and what business business is is it of yours um, and this this conversation or this uh, this conversation really helped when they were comparing homosexuality to bestiality to rape um, and and like all of the negatives <laughs> negative and and perverted sides of, of of sex itself and you know so the difference and the way that we were able to differentiate ourselves from from those um, from from those things or pedophilia was you know homosexuality doesn't ch cause harm like we're not out there trying to to take something from somebody else without consent right yeah that feels exactly on point right is like not only is it our responsibility to have blind faith i would argue that isn't our responsibility but lots of us who come out of more conservative or evangelical traditions are taught that we're supposed to have blind faith without questioning god um but i would argue like it is our responsibility to actually walk out the theology all the way out. So if we claim that this book is literal, how do we apply it? Do we say like, yes, we agree slavery is wrong, but no, we disagree that the number of LGBTQI youth on the streets because Christian homes are kicking them out because of their Christian beliefs. There's nothing we can do about that. That's just the way it is. Um, that feels wrong. That feels so morally and ethically backwards that it feels impossible that um, I could have believed that at one time, which I did when I was younger and growing up in the church. I would love to give a shout out. Speaking of that question of like um, harm, I would love to give a shout out at the free to the Freedom Center. They're based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they have this campaign going on that um, is asking folks to take a pledge. And the pledge says that I will not use my religion to harm somebody else. And that feels so simple, um, but it's still, still so potent that it, and it's, it's impactful to me that we still have to have that kind of pledge in 2016. But um, they've just started it, and it feels like it's absolutely relevant. It says that um, I, you know, fill in your name 
pledge to do no harm through interpretation of holy text or other religious writings. This includes harm caused on the basis of sexual orientation, gender expression, race, or faith tradition. I will also not obstruct the right of other citizens to have equal protection under the law. So simple. Fits on a little business card. But I just thought that was a brilliant strategy to be like, can we start here? Can we just start here? Oof, that is so strong. That is so powerful. Um, I wonder where this initiative started and I wonder how far it has been able to get because it's just, that's to me, that is the base of where Christianity should be um, and not like the National Religious Broadcasters or the 700 Club television where it's it all seems to be based on this idea that people need to change in order to fit into this mold um and i think the the our our original question was um when i come out as queer you know how what do i do with the bible you know um and for a long time after i came out i couldn't quite find myself in the Bible, and I just stuck to reading the Psalms. Um, and that's because I love David. He's my homie. <laughs> we go way back. <laughs> and um, I, 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 um, and I started to, and then I started to kind of pull back from my fundamentalist upbringing and kind of see how I felt like my, my religion had kind of just left me out of the equation, right? It felt like they had really figured out um, everything else, you know, everything else as according to their um, their dogma. And is that the right word? Dogma? Yes. They had figured everything out according to their dogma. And it was like God gave them um, a bunch of ingredients and said, build this perfect cake and live your life according to this. And they built a perfect cake, but they left out the one ingredient, which was me, because they couldn't quite figure out how to put it in there. But when I look at it from this lens that you're talking about, of um, of maybe we should be looking at at the Bible from a different perspective, you know, maybe we should be reading um, Paul, not not so uh, on the nose, but you know, from the perspective of him being a man who was who was not perfect, right? Um, Maybe the problem with with um, with Christianity today uh, is not the Bible itself, but it's it's the interpretations of the Bible. It's the way that people have have chosen to to make the Bible this this weapon against um, otherness. You know, when it's supposed to be a a tool of acceptance. Um, and I wonder, I wonder how you get from from point A to point B, my friend. Broderick Greer, I met him last year at the Gay Christian Network um, conference, and he told us this, this uh, he had this huge speech, and he talked a lot about um, theologies, and it's the first time I've ever heard somebody say theologies, not theology, and with this idea that each of us has a way of interpreting the Bible, and to me that was so beautiful to know that like, that like what Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says, that the single story is, is really detrimental that each of us has a story, each of us has a voice, and each of us needs to be using that voice to interpret the world around us and to put our story out there. So strong, so beautiful. I heard that TED Talk and it totally changed everything. So I'm like, oh my God, I know that one. I love that whole narrative of like the danger of a single story. Um, So I totally recommend people going to dig that up. 
when you were talking about the Psalms, um, the idea behind the Psalms was that there is a Psalm for every season, like that, that every, that it's basically a collection of songs. Um, but the idea is, is that there is something for every feeling in there. Like that is intentionally how it was honored and created. And so I love that. And I wanted, before we jump on to the next thing, I wanted to offer my very favorite, um, translation of the Psalms um, because I specifically will not use masculine language for God. So for example, when you hear me reading the text, I will replace he or his with God um, because by the very nature of being God, God transcends gender and the ways in which God being a man or male has really impacted all of us um, through misogyny, misogyny and heteropatriarchy feels like enough for me never to have that on my lips again, if I can help it. Um, but there's this amazing book called Psalms for Praying, An Invitation to Wholeness, and it's by Nan C. Merrill. It's really beautiful because through this entire translation, she chooses to use language that is not specifically gendered for God. And for me, part of what I struggle with when reading the Bible is that God is often referred to as he, even though um, in the scripture, there is only really one place, a very specific place um, where the Holy Spirit is talked about as male, which is um, advocate, and the spirit feels most potent to me. So I really appreciate when folks um, use gender neutral language for God. So I just invite folks to that particular version of Psalms because I actually could spend between Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis and the Psalms, I think I could spend a lifetime or more on um, figuring out how to be closer to God and be connected to God. Well, that's all we have for today. Join us next time on Lord Have Mercy for a sultry discussion of Song of Solomon. Okay, bye.